0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Cracking Addiction with Philippe Noren. In the episode of Cracking Addiction today, we're very pleased to have a special guest, Stephen McDonald, who will be giving us a perspective of a lived experience with addiction. Now, Stephen has suffered from substance use disorder for a number of years and has gone through multiple previous rehabilitation and withdrawal unit management admissions, and has kind of run the gamut of recovery-based groups and interventions. And he's here today to provide us with a first-person account of living with substance use disorder, living with addiction, talking about his recovery journey, and also speaking about his excellent book, Thanks for Letting Me Share, where he has a collection of around 368 quotes which are separated into, into three chapters, getting here, staying here, and a, and a higher power, talking about his experiences and other people's experiences with addiction, recovery, and quotes to help people along their journey. So, Stephen, uh, thank you and welcome to, to this episode of Cracking Addiction. And I thought I'd, I'd start off by, by asking you to, to, to share a bit uh, with, with us, um, the audience here, about your 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 journey in in addiction and your and your lived experience with with addiction.
1: Sure. How you doing? Can you hear oh, me? Fine. Okay. All right. Yes. <laughs> um. Yeah. I started off. Fifteen years old is when I began uh, experimenting with substances, and it started with marijuana, and then alcohol, and then as time went on, probably late twenties, I. Started smoking crack cocaine, and that was really what um, took me to places I never want to return to. And at the same time, it kind of took away my obsession to drink because it was all about getting that substance. And the alcohol, although I was still an alcoholic, uh, I didn't crave it as much because I was onto something else. So the progression of it is very evident in my my story
0: and can i ask what uh what drove you to to try some of these substances was was there anything in particular that that made you um do that transition from marijuana alcohol to, to to crack cocaine at all
1: that's uh that's probably just my nature um at the time i was pretty impulsive um a risk taker um i wasn't necessarily trying to like cover up anything or hide from anything. It was more or less, I know exactly the day when I started smoking crack, I was drunk. And, and as a direct result of my alcoholism, I was involved in an area and with people that I wouldn't have been normally if I was sober. And so I had lost the inhibitions that had me say, let me try that. I'll try that. And that was it. It just grabbed a hold of me and never, never let go for quite some
0: time. And what was your journey going through substance use disorder and dealing with addiction? What was that like and you mentioned it was over many years. What were those years like?
1: um First, it was fun uh when I was younger, it was like, "Wow, this feels good with the marijuana and the occasional weekend drinking and then it got to like falling down and getting you know smashing my face on cement and just You know, getting in car accidents and the the progression of the consequences grew as well. And they continued to grow. And there was plenty of times where I would say, whew, that was close. And then do it again. And I just didn't realize that I was an alcoholic until probably my mid-20s. But it was evident, looking back on it, that I was by the age of 16. So, um, yeah, I just kept going with it, kept going with it and uh, tried to like switch. Okay, I'm just going to drink beer. No shots, no hard alcohol. And, you know, it never worked. All these grand ideas I had to only do so much <laughs> never worked for me.
0: Right. And and you mentioned there that um, initially it was fun and then gradually the consequences were progressively ramping up and life became less fun. I guess um, the question to ask um, would be, so if the consequences were ramping up, uh, why were you continuing to use substances? Because some of our audience might not understand um, why if negative consequences are continually increasing, why why are you you doing things or using substances that are potentially only going to increase those negative consequences?
1: Right. Um, The obsession. The obsession to, it got to the point where I'll just talk about the alcohol where after a hard day at work or on the weekends, it was like, okay, I want to, I want to, um, relax. In my mind, it was like take a load off by cracking a few beers and getting that nice feeling of, Oh, okay, this feels good. But I was unable to keep it there. Like a lot of people could have three beers and then maybe three and a half and walk away. But I just had to, once I, I put the substance, alcohol, crack in my body. I couldn't stop and, and I kind of equate it to a goldfish. So you know how when you put goldfish food in a bowl, you can only put in a pinch, but if you dump the whole thing in there, it'll eat it until it dies. That's basically <laughs> where how I equate my um constant need to continue 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 until I passed out or I ran ran out of money. Or I was up for three days and I was just exhausted. So um, once it's in me, I'm compelled to continue. And and you would think after getting beat beat up a few <laughs> a few several times that I wouldn't look forward to have, but I, my mind would trick me into thinking it's going to be different this time. This time, it, I won't get as crazy. I won't black out. You know, I, I won't fall down. I won't get into a fight. You know, I won't get into a car accident. I won't go to those crazy places around those crazy people. But once I'm intoxicated or under the influence, all those inhibitions are gone. So I guess the, uh, the initial from, say, Sunday morning when I stopped drinking to, and this is the way it used to be, I'd go all week sometimes and start again on Friday. Then, then those times got closer and closer, and then it became a nightly thing. Um, so the progression of that also increased, but you would think after Sunday morning being hungover and all the consequences, Oh boy, when Friday comes, I sure. But when the, when the body heals, the liar returns. And that's one of, one of the greatest quotes in my book, because I, I so identify with that. And by Friday, you know, or even if it's two days later, I start feeling a little better. And. I minimize, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, you know, I fell down, I got drunk, I hit my head. You know, I almost got killed in reality. You know, <laughs> a million different things could have happened. But I I have this ability, and I think we all do, that are addicts and alcoholics, to minimize and almost give us amnesia about the consequences. It's a remarkable phenomenon. I mean, it, it's mind-boggling. But that's just the way, you know, it's just True. the way we're wired. We're wired like that.
0: Right, and and I think you've you've kind of explained that really well in the sense that although there were a lot of um, negative consequences, and you've talked about quite a few negative physical consequences as well, uh, despite going through that, once that had resolved, uh, you you were still craving that substance. And we've talked about um, briefly there, the physical consequences, withdrawals, those kinds of symptoms. But can I talk to you a bit about the psychological and emotional consequences? What what did your substance use and your addiction history do to to the relationships in your life and the interpersonal relationships as well?
1: They definitely were hurt. And um, alcohol, as I progressed throughout my life, gave me depression. And at the end of my drinking, I was depressed after it was done. Like the day after I was just feeling like I had never felt in the past, you know, I never felt depressed and it just, it just brought on this depression. But when you fast forward to the crack cocaine, that's when things got really ugly. And, you know, I, I, uh, I took money from people that I shouldn't have, you know, I, uh, I lied. Oh, well, I can't be at this event because I have a flat tire. I must've had a million flat tires in my life. You know, uh, was unable to show up consistently to important things. And yeah, a lot of people frowned on that. And a lot of people, um, didn't give me a pass and didn't, you know, didn't say, Oh, poor Steve, he's an addict or poor Steve. He's an alcoholic. It was this guy, you know, he's not a good, he's not a good, uh, he's not a good guy. He's, he lies. He doesn't show up when this, but they knew I had a problem like sober, Steve and Steve drinking and drugging are two different people. You know, I've been sober for almost clean and sober for almost six years. I show up consistently. I go to work every day. You know, I got a family and I got a wife and, and I'm, um, I'm accountable to them. And I, I do the things that somebody who is responsible should do. But back then when I was using, um, I had a lot of strained relationships and I've, I've managed to get a lot of them back. There are a few that are that bridge has been burned. And, you know, regardless of whether the I'm, I'm clean and sober or not, if they hear it about it, they would just be like to hell with that guy. And, you know, I just that's the way it goes but for the most part i've maintained to to keep the friends and the family the family all my family still is in my life and i'm grateful for that
0: that's that's really great news to, to hear yeah um, can i just go back a tiny bit uh, and just ask what was your experience going through like the medical system and say going through detoxes and rehabs uh, how did you find those facilities and the healthcare professionals that you dealt with?
1: The, the professionals were great. The people that, that do that work are saints uh, and they deal with some difficult situations, difficult people, and they were very helpful. And I, I gained a lot of knowledge and inspiration and motivation from the people I met. And I've been to several treatment centers across America and every employee I've ever known that's worked in one has been great the the thing about uh, cocaine crack and and powder cocaine is that in order to get into a detox over here you have to be addicted to something that the withdrawal can kill or hurt you like opiates or alcohol so if you're an addict for on cocaine or crack you have to get drunk before you can get into the detox you can't say i'm a cocaine addict i need a detox and then from detox you go to a rehab so you have to actually get drunk Go in there, even if you're not an alcoholic, and say your problem is alcohol. And you can also say, yeah, and I do cocaine too. When in reality, the person's entire problem is not alcohol. It's cocaine or crack, but they won't let you in a detox for that. And I think that's just ridiculous because uh, you can do a lot more damage, you know, being an active crack addict than an alcoholic, I believe, in society, you know you can do a lot of more you can do a lot of damage to yourself neither one of them are picnics but i just don't i find that remarkable that they won't allow you to detox from a psychologically addicting drug as opposed to a physically addicting drug in this country
0: hmm. and so many times i had talk? to just
1: get i'm sorry
0: oh no no go for it
1: i was just saying uh all the detoxes i had to go to i had to get drunk before going there and when i when it was towards the end when it was all about crack I didn't even drink I I hadn't drank in years you know but I had a drink to get in there Mm
0: -hmm. and can you tell me a bit more about your your journey to recovery what what motivated you to 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 go on this path to recovery Uh, was there a specific incident or was it just repeated encounters with with uh, healthcare professionals or repeated um, attempts at um detox and going through rehabilitation facilities what it was was the people that i met that had been clean and
1: sober for multiple years either whether they were the the people that work in the treatment centers or the people that ran the sober houses i lived in or even the people in the na and aa meetings i believed them like when they were when they were telling their story and when they were sharing that they were the way i was And now I look at them and I just saw men of integrity. I I saw men that were carrying themselves with confidence. They looked you in the eye and I believed them. And I said, well, you know, all these people, it can't be a coincidence. And I I saw them in multiple states. I saw them in California. I saw them in Connecticut. I saw them in Massachusetts, Tennessee. And they all had this same kind of calm, serene quiet confidence about them but their lives were a train wreck just like mine was and i'm like this this is there's something to this this is not a coincidence and they all did the same thing they all had the same very similar um methods to stay clean and sober and a big part of it was they hung out with each other the the you know we uh we suffer in isolation and we heal in community And that's very true. And so, um, you know, like they say, we need to change people, places, and things. Well, these guys did that. And I said to myself, you know, there's no reason why I can't be doing that. And so even though I struggled and I kept going in and out, in and out, in my heart of hearts, I knew it was possible. And there were times I had doubts. Maybe it's possible for them, but not me. But that was the disease talking to me. But I never quit coming back cuz i knew the answers were in there i saw it I, I believed them to my you know so i kept coming back and i kept coming back and i'm telling you when i picked up uh, white key tags and beginner chips i could i could fill a car with them <laughs> but um and i'm grateful cuz a lot of people you know you only get so many life rafts and you never know which one's going to be your last and i think i got more than most by the grace of god and I'm just grateful, I, I, you know, I'm very grateful because, you know, could have
0: gotten no worse. Right. And I think, Stephen, what you've told me really resonates in that with a lot of the patients that I see, a few of the things that you've mentioned seem to be almost near universal in the sense that um, interacting with people with lived experience is really important to the patients that I see and, and seeing other people and hearing their journeys has been really Useful to a lot of my patients, but also that community, that community that's trying to support you and help you. In, in, from what I've seen, and please correct me if I'm wrong here, but addiction and substance use can be a very isolating experience. You leave a community and then the substance and the addiction is the, the, the the primary thing in your life. And then recovery is about reconnecting with the community and bringing people around you to support you and collectively lifting, um, I guess lifting yourselves up. Per se, so that um that we can aid in that recovery process is is that a fair statement at all or that's do you, exactly do you, do you right that?
1: that's yeah. exactly right it's it's critical for me to to um to speak with and associate with like minded people that are that are doing the right things that are working a program of recovery that go to meetings regularly because if I get away from that, then my brain will start telling me. Oh, a drink sounds like a good idea. It's been almost six years. Oh, why don't you go get, you can stop after spending 20 bucks. You can go get $20 worth of that crack and you'll stop. And that's, (laughs) that's a lie. But if I don't continually hear these things that I hear in meetings and, and listen to people talk to me like my sponsor, uh, I'll go back to that old way of thinking. Like there's no doubt in my mind. And so I need this community daily. This isn't something I can get away from because the liar will return and I'll believe him, and I have no doubt about that.
0: Out of all the things and processes you've been through, and you mentioned you've been through many detoxes and rehabs before, was there any particular technique or recovery method that you found the most useful for you or the things that resonate with you? Because I've heard um, a lot of different patients say a lot of different things. Some people really love AA, Some people don't like AA, some people like smart recovery, some people don't like smart recovery. Uh, So you can insert the name of almost any any program, but have you found anything particularly useful for yourself on your journey to recovery? I enjoy
1: the meetings and and I go to both NA and AA and I qualify for both certainly, but the message is similar and I, I really enjoy it. Like when I leave a meeting, sometimes I don't wanna go. Sometimes something good is on TV. Or sometimes it's cold out and I don't want to get in the car you know, there's a million other. But once I leave, I'm grateful that I went because I always hear something that I feel like the person was speaking to me as opposed to speaking about themselves. And so that and the combination of of step work, which has really given me a new perspective on a lot of things that I was blind to before I, I started working the steps. Um, and, and once again, speaking with, uh, other recovering people, cause they'll give me, a, you know, I'm mad at something and I'm, I'm, I'm talking to them about something and this happened at work, such and such. And then they'll give me a different spin on it. And I'll be like, wow, I didn't think of it like that before. And so, you know, couple those three things together, community meetings and step work, and also staying involved, getting a commitment, you know, being a coffee, a coffee maker or a door greeter that keeps me going to those meetings. You know, I have a commitment. I got to show up for that. So, and I need that. I need to be held accountable. It gives me a sense of uh, responsibility and it gets me there. And, and I never, I've never left the meeting wishing I didn't go. (laughs)
0: Never. Excellent. And I I think you're just uh, hammering home that point of of community. Uh, A a slight segue in what I'm going to talk about now is I guess, Um, especially here in Australia, there's a lot of stigma around addiction and there's a lot of stigma around substance use. Have you experienced any of that yourself? And has that impacted your, your willingness to seek treatment or impacted how ready you were to share your story with other people?
1: Yes, it has. Um, because I don't, I do feel that people think addict and they think thief, I do think people think alcoholic they think sloppy drunk driving drunk loud boisterous rude crude you know fall down sloppy so and those people are going to think like that regardless and so i try to keep my anonymity away from people who i feel i'm not sure how they're going to take it so but at the same time as i've gotten older and i've stayed in recovery longer that doesn't bother me as much as it did in the beginning. in the beginning, I didn't want anybody to know. but now I'm okay with it because I know this is a disease. like I know that most people know that, and those that don't know it just are ignorant about that. so i'm not I'm not morally bad i'm 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 sick and and I will get sick sicker if i can if I continue to go back to my old ways. So it's not a moral issue. I mean, granted, we do some some not so great things when we're under the influence. But the fact of the matter is I have a disease. I'm treating it. I'm a much better man than I was prior. And I'm proud of myself. So you can judge me all you want. That's fine, because I know where I came from. I know where I am now. And the people that love me and my friends that know me are proud of me because they've seen the transition. And those that don't know, they don't need to know. You know, I don't necessarily get on the hilltops and yell, I'm in recovery. But when it's, <laughs> when it's, um, I think it might benefit somebody if I'm, if I'm in a conversation and, you know, I'll bring it up. I work in a prison and and sometimes I don't actually go out and let them all know that I'm in recovery, but sometimes it's relevant. And I share a little bit of my story just to let them know that I know what a struggle is like and, and I don't struggle anymore. In, in in those areas. So I, if I can help somebody with, with my story, I will, but I don't necessarily go around and tell everybody my story because there are those that will look down. And when I was using, then I was definitely looked down on because I would bum money outside of gas stations. You know, I looked the part, I was skinny, I was dirty. And you know, when someone sees an active addict, they just really turn their nose down at them. And, uh, I get that, you know. We're we're not the the nicest people to be around when we're active.
0: And what made you motivated to write your book? Thanks for letting me share. What was it that made you want to to share um, these three hundred and sixty eight quotes with with other people and and mail it out to, to 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 the audience that it has now?
1: When I first got introduced to the rooms of AA and NA. And when I was in the treatment centers, we're talking 2003 was my first experience with recovery, my first rehab. And I heard some things and some of them I've heard a million times since, but they were new to me and powerful and profound. And some of them were funny and some of them were very, very wise. And I, they just like really resonated with me. So I always liked to write as a kid. and. um that was one of my bucket lists is to be a, a, a published author. And so I said, wouldn't it be something? And I thought of the name of the book way back then. I think this was a, a God-inspired thought, to be honest with you. If I, you know, because I was still kind of groggy. If I get a thought like that, that's beneficial to other people, I believe it's a God-inspired thought because my thoughts usually are, are about self-centered, Steve, <laughs> what, what's best for me. So way back then when I got that thought, wow. I should write a book. I know exactly what I'll call it. Thanks for letting me share. And I will put all, I'm a big fan of quotes. I love historical quotes. I will put all these, and I started taking them down. I put them in my phone. I would write them down. All these powerful quotes I've heard from people in the rooms, from people out on coffee breaks, from the guys in the sober house, things that just resonated with me and moved me. And then during the pandemic, I said, you know something, now's the time. And I took all my notes and I put them together and I, and I got on uh, Amazon KDP and I published it. And now I, uh, I take these books and I send them to treatment centers all across the United States. I sent out a whole bunch today and um, it feels good. No drink or no drug has ever made me feel as good as when I send these books out because I feel like there's some guy or some woman in some treatment center who's never heard this stuff. And I like to think it'll plant the seed with them. Because it sure did with me.
0: Mm-hmm. And your your hope is that this book can kind of serve as a catalyst for other people who may be thinking about trying to 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 start the path for recovery. Is, is that what you're hoping the book does?
1: I am. I'm hoping that the book reaches people that are new, have never heard. Because uh, if you've been around for a few years and you've been in meetings, you've probably heard 30% of the quotes in this book. 70% are unique to the people that set them and they were powerful. But there are ones that, you know, uh, if you do what you always did, you're going to get what you always got. You know, I've heard that a million times. But when I first heard it, I was like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. And a lot of these quotes are simple, but yet profound. So my, my goal was to put it out there for people that, A, have time under the belt so they can read that first chapter called Getting Here which is about the insanity and the madness behind addiction and alcoholism. And remember how it used to be. Because sometimes one of the quotes in the book says when we are um, when we have a lot of time, uh, something along the lines of when we are ripe, we start to rot. And when we're new, all this stuff comes in like, wow, wow, I never heard that before. And so I was gearing it towards the newcomer but also the people that have been around for a while that can read that first chapter and remember and say, wow, that was crazy and I never want to go back there. So I think it can reach both people that have been around for a while and people that are just coming in. And I really think, and, and I've gotten a lot of good feedback um, from my friends in recovery that have read it.
0: Excellent. And you, you've mentioned your journey of recovery was, was many years in the making many times through many different detox and rehabilitation facilities um do you feel that each step there instead of i see a lot of patients where you go through a detox or and you may go to a rehab or you just do a standalone detox and say there's a lapse or a relapse um people can get quite negative and and feel that they'll never progress on that path to recovery Um, For you, how long did you find it took to stick and was it just one of those things where you, it was just like one step in front of the other and we just keep going and see what happens or how, how, what was your path to recovery like?
1: So I would go to a treatment center, I would get out and I would relapse soon thereafter. And then I left one treatment center and they said, this, this whole going back to your life that you had before treatment isn't working. How about you go to a sober house? So I said, all right, I'll try that. So I went there and I did better there, but I would still veer off. And I always veered off alone. I was always by myself. I got a bright idea and I would go and use. And then when you use in a sober house, you get kicked out. So I had a lot of those driving around with my car full of all everything I owned in it, you know, until I could come up with the money to get into another sober house. And so I did a lot of that. Um, and then I would go back when things got really bad and I was starving and broke and I had nowhere else to go, I'd go into treatment. So a lot of times these treatment centers helped me get out of this rut. But at the same time, it was almost like I and I'm looking back on it now. And I didn't like when someone told me this at the time, but I was taking a break. I was just kind of taking a break, um, getting healthy again, you know, physically. And then my mind would start thinking towards, so if it was a treatment center for 30 days by day 20, I'm obsessing about using again, but I'm not telling anybody. Or if it was a 90 day treatment center, when that clock was ticking and I knew I was getting out soon, I was like a horse at the starting gates, but I kept it to myself. I didn't tell anybody. And that's another critical thing is I I need to tell on myself when that bright idea comes. And fortunately, the bright idea doesn't come anymore. You know, I don't get the obsession to use has been lifted from me. Thank God. So I don't get that bright idea. But I know if I do, I need to expose it. And in the past, I never exposed it. And I would just try to fight it myself. And I would always lose.
0: And it sounds like this, this path to recovery has also been a path of a bit of self realization for you as well. You've, you've seems to clearly have identified some of your thought processes and some of the triggers for you. And you've seemed to have put in place like a lot of contingency plans or safety mechanisms so that, um, there's a decreased chance of lapse or relapse. Um, do you also find that sometimes not treating the lapse or relapse as a as a major deal also helped as well, like not putting too much pressure on yourself?
1: So, can you explain that a little bit more? You mean after a as relapse? In
0: do you do you find I find sometimes if when when a patient say lapses, um, they can be so hard on themselves that that a lapse becomes a relapse versus um, acknowledging the lapse for what it is and realizing, okay, this happened. And maybe I should take a few more steps to make sure it doesn't happen again. I find people can be quite negative in their thinking sometimes. And uh, sometimes that can kind of trigger a a more severe form of relapse per se. Does does that happen to you at all? Sure.
1: There's been times where, um, like I said, I would do a 90-day program. And you would think after 90 days, I'd have my head a little clear. And there was uh, one particular time, the day I got out, I used the day I got out after 90 days and I was always a model citizen in rehab. I did all the work and, but I got, out. so there were times I just thought, yeah, this might work for all those people, but it's not going to work for me. Like I'm different. I'm unique. Uh, Like this, this disease really has got a hold on me. I know it got a hold on you, but it's got a worse hold on me. And that's a lie. That's not true, but I would convince myself. So that would give me an excuse to just keep going. Like, I'm never going to get this. And but my phone would ring because I had friends in recovery and I would get phone calls. I would get text messages and I knew where the answers were. Like in my heart of hearts, I still knew that the answers were were back in those rooms. And I I would eventually drag myself back there and uh, surrender again. And um, so, yeah, there were times where I was defeated. And, it, and during those times, thank God, I had men in my life that didn't stop reaching out to me and um, let me know, hey, we're here when you're ready. And I knew it and I would I would go back eventually. But, yes, I beat myself up many times just saying I'm not one of these guys that's going to
0: that's going to be able to do this. What do you think has been the most important thing on, on your path to recovery? If you had to if you had to put one thing down
1: today it's my immediate family I'm married and um, my wife has two sons and so I have two stepsons and we all live together and it's the um, the fact of the matter is I would let them down and I would let myself down something terrible if I was to go back to my old ways and um, the disappointment could be unbearable like I don't even want to know. Like I know guilt and I know what it feels like to have self-loathing, but this would be a whole nother level. So I've, I built myself a life where I live with people I love. I'm consistent. You know, when I say I'm going to be somewhere, I'm there. I come home at the time I'm supposed to come home. All these things that we do that we don't do when we're active and I'm not willing to roll the dice anymore. I'm not willing to to risk losing what I have today. In the past, it didn't matter so much to me, but you know, uh, and that, I believe that's another like my higher power has put uh, things in my life that are just like looking back, they're miraculous, hmm. and um, putting me together with my wife and my stepsons is a, a big part of of why I stay.
0: And I guess to, to, to wrap up, um, Stephen, if you have one last message to leave our, our viewers and listeners with, what would that be?
1: I would have to say if you're struggling, don't ever quit because this is possible. This is possible, but you can't do it alone. That, that's my message. Reach out to the people that are doing it and stay with them. Don't veer off and tell on yourself tell on you. There's nothing wrong with telling on yourself because everybody understands. Yeah, I think like that too. I I understand how you think. And, um, you know, if you're an addict or an alcoholic, we are a lot alike. I don't care if you live in New Zealand, if you live in Alaska, or if you live in Brazil, we have a lot. I'm more like the people in the rooms of AA and NA than I am the friends I grew up with that I've known my whole life. I have more of a Um, I identify with you as opposed to someone who isn't an alcoholic. I heard my thoughts coming out of their mouth when I first came in here. So yeah, stick with with like-minded people.
0: Thank you. And thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Stephen. And I think your story will resonate with with a, a lot of people and, I guess it does show that although every journey is is different and unique, there are some overlying truth with regards to addiction and substance use disorder. And I think from what you've said, consistency, getting an appropriate community around you, and not not being isolated are kind of those kind of main triggers on, on the path to recovery. So Thank you again, Stephen, for sharing your journey with us on this episode of Cracking Addiction. So to our listeners and viewers, I hope you appreciate what Stephen has shared with us. Thank you for listening to us and bye for now.